There's so much disruption going on in the marketplace right now, and I myself needed some clarity on what exactly was going on and why. Yeah. And so I distilled it down to four pillars. And those four pillars are leadership, team dynamic, consumer behavior, and the generations. Hey everybody, this is Josh Becerra from Agurian. Uh, this is the next episode of How I Work. I'm here with Debbie Schwacke. Debbie, thanks for being here. Thanks, Josh. I'm thrilled to be here. Thanks for having me. I'm excited me. to do this with you. Uh, so, Debbie, uh, you have 25 plus years of marketing experience, many of which as VP of Marketing or CMO. Most recently, though, I attended a marketer's community event where you spoke to the audience about mastering chaos, navigating leadership in the era of disruption, which was super cool. Um, one of the topics that I want to just like jump right into. So, uh, should we get rolling? Absolutely. I'm in. All right, let's go. So it was an amazing event. Uh, I know that this is kind of unfair of me, but I'm going to ask you to like distill your 30 minute message about why it's so chaotic for leaders these days into kind of a five minute answer for the audience on the podcast. So mm -hmm. where are you seeing the disruption and what do leaders need to do about it? Mm -hmm. That's a great question, Josh. And, and what's funny is I said mastering chaos, which is a tall order, right? Yeah, but exactly. the way that I described chaos in my sort of, you know, distilled down version of it is really, there's so much disruption going on in the marketplace right now. And I myself needed some clarity on what exactly was going on and why. Yeah. And so I distilled it down to four pillars. And those four pillars are leadership, team dynamic, consumer behavior, and the generations. And if you think about these as, as like a roundabout, yeah. where there are four exits, they're all interconnected, but each of them is very unique on its own or takes you to a different place. So first one, let's talk about generations. We're in this just massive, this massive chaos of the different generations right now. Gen X, who doesn't understand the millennials, who don't understand Gen Z. And, and in fact, millennials are 75% of our workforce right now, right? right? So you have a lot of Gen X leadership, you have a lot of millennials who are, you know, taking back their work-life balance and you have Gen Zs who are like, well, we don't even really know if we wanna work a traditional job and what does that mean anyway, right? Yeah. So, yeah, exactly. so it's understanding across the generations, the different behaviors that are driving some of this chaos in our, in our workplace and in our leadership and, and in consumers and that sort of thing. Yeah. And the second one I'll, I'll touch on is leadership and leadership itself Right now, leaders are very nervous. They're under a lot of pressure and they have no patience and no tenure in, in any organizations. Leadership changes happen so frequently yeah. that we don't end up having any long-term kind of effect in our organization. So there's this constant waves of change. Especially in marketing. Amen to that, absolutely. Yeah. Especially in marketing. And marketing, as we know, we're trying to move humans here right yeah. so we need some time we need some time to do that the third pillar is the consumer behavior and need i say more the dynamic that amazon has brought to consumers mm -hmm. is just beyond all of us that yeah. we have access to 10 million products in less than two days and anything beyond that we just forget it everything's a commodity right. they even on amazon i talked about this with someone yesterday 
even on Amazon, they're using the same stock photography for the products across yeah. across products. So everything's a commodity. Uh, so I thought you were going to say something, Josh. Go. No. What's the fourth one? I want to hear about the fourth one. The fourth one is the team dynamic. And I talked about this a little bit, but really you've got these generations coming up saying, why nine to five? Yeah. And Gen X is kind of mad about that. They're like, because it's nine to five. But right. but really the question is, why nine to five? And and I, I quip, is it the same reason we have three months off in the summer from school because we have to help harvest the crop? These are just these standards and norms that we've always lived, we've never questioned. And now we've got these generations coming in that are questioning that. So we're having trouble finding teams. We're having trouble finding people to work these traditional roles. Yeah. And, and you know, like I said before, millennials are taking back their work-life balance. They, and we don't want to work in offices anymore. We want to work sometimes in offices, but we don't always. So, so there's a lot of disruption going on right now. And the point of the chaos talk, the mastering part was this, is to say, these are just some examples of the disruption that's going on. And be careful when you're making decisions or when you're trying to solve problems around them, because typically we're solving problems out in this chaos. I can't find anybody to work. I need to find more people to work. But in reality, I'm suggesting to master it, make sure that you're considering everything. We don't have anyone to work. I need to figure out how to get the work done differently. Right. How to so, make the work that was, kind of palatable or like exciting to like a different yeah. generation or like at least more, co more coherent to how that generation or, or that group of people wants to work. Absolutely. And, and sometimes it's never a good idea to go completely 180, right? We're not going to go from eight to five to, well, work whenever you want, however you want. That's just not going to work. But there's a meet in the middle there somewhere that looks like, let's take a look at why, let's answer the question, why eight to five? Do we really need to work that? And if yep. we do, then we have to be able to kind of understand what does that mean to how we're going to get our work done? Yeah. I love that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I do mm -hmm. think it's challenging for leaders um, to manage all these different dynamics. And like you said, you've highlighted four. Mm -hmm. There's there's a lot of other stuff that throws chaos in the leadership and organizations. Um, but yeah, mm -hmm. kind of taking a more broad approach and thinking awesome. through some of like the decision making and looking at it from different lenses, I think is where mm -hmm. what you're recommending. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I just am suggesting shine a light on the whole thing and take a bigger step back. Like, let's yeah. not try to make these because we're making chaotic decisions in chaos right. and it's not doing anyone any good. So yeah. love that. that's my suggestion. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, well, I love that talk. Uh, it was awesome. Um, and, you know, one of the things that we talked about prepping for this is I was sharing with you that Agurian is really focused on kind of small and mighty marketing teams. So companies that are like tens of millions to hundreds of millions in revenue, but with like maybe two or three total marketers in their organization, pretty big organizations. And I know you've been in that role a little bit in your, in your history. Um, and one of the things we talked about was resource planning and how important it is, especially for these like small and mighty teams. So 
do you have some thoughts you could share with the audience about like resource planning, um, how you think about it? Yeah, I, I love this question, Josh. And we had such a great, you and I had such a great conversation about it. Typically, people start from the wrong place. Mm-hmm. When you're thinking about resource planning, you have to back up to say, what process are we solving for? And the process has to be supported by what strategy are we trying to achieve? And the strategy has to be supported by what's the vision of the organization? Like, what are we actually trying to do? And so when when we simply come in, and and this is where, you know, a lot of companies have made their bank is, you know, we have this flashy, fun thing that's going to help you do this and that, and, and you buy it, and it's supposed to create a process, and all of a sudden, you know, there's there's this disillusionment of, oh, that didn't work at, at yeah. all. Like that didn't work at all. We needed an admin to support that and we needed a process in order to install that it needs to be connected. So really making sure that your strategy supports the vision for the organization. Where are you trying to go mm-hmm. and what strategies are you going to get there? That's the car that you're driving in, right? And then yeah. the next part is what processes do you have in place and what what support do you need of that strategy? So I always look at resource planning as take the budget piece aside, although that's not really fair. There's a big budget aspect to it. So I didn't mean just like toss it out, but essentially if you're thinking about staffing your, your team stack, for example, you could have full time, you could have contractors, you could have agency support. And what you need to do is be honest with yourself and map out the what do I need? How much of it do I need? How important is it to the strategy? And what time commitment do I need from that? And so, for example, a content person is a great example for most people mm-hmm. because a lot, a lot of people do content. Do yeah. I need a content writer or a content strategist? Well, what's your, what's your actual strategy? Are you trying to to have that person do something with the content to move people along? Or do you already have that strategy in place and you just need to plug someone in to write? Yeah. Right. So, and, and, and one of the other things that this, this catches people all the time, SEO is important to everybody, important to everybody, I would argue. And often we want to hire that person internally, but the cost of keeping that person upskilled in Google's ever-changing algorithm is heavy. And did you plan for that? So is that somewhere maybe where you could, you could plug in an agency, you get the power, excuse me, you get the power of the agency behind you without having to carry that, that heavy weight of training and development and and all of that sort of thing. Yeah. Well, I Mm love, first of all, I love that you're saying agencies could be a good solve for SEO. Of course. Uh, Love that. But, you know, the other thing that I remember from our conversation was, you know, when you're thinking about, yeah, is this something we want to do in-house? Is this something we want a contractor, a freelancer to do? Do we need an agency to do this? The other thing that I thought was really good was you said, how about technology? Like, can we solve this need through technology? And of course, that in and of itself may require a different set of resources, but um, in this kind of day and age, there are those opportunities to like get some some uh, quick wins for a small team just through technology alone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and again, supported by process, right? Mm-hmm. So it doesn't create the process; it supports the process. 
the one that I, I really lean into right now because it's on everybody's mind is AI. Yeah. And I often say, I wish AI for productivity had come out as strongly as AI for production. Right. Right. Because yeah. I think we're using AI to produce a bunch of stuff, but then we, now we have a bunch of stuff in silos and no way to get it from point A to point B because we haven't thought about it for productivity, for yeah. using to scale, for using to, to do those things that take people a long time. And that has more to do with process than it has to do with writing right. mediocre content, right? Yeah. Yeah, no, right. I, I think that's super astute. Because I do mm -hmm. see people, you know, with, oh, look at how I can make these quick videos or these images and or I can write this LinkedIn post. But uh, it's really like in the efficiency, at least where I'm finding like the, the best result is like, can it speed something up for me? Um, so anyway, I thought that was, I, yeah, super astute. Well, so marketing automation. Sorry. Go ahead. I was going to say, Josh, because marketing automation is a similar kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, marketing can't really be automated. There still has to be a process and a strategy behind it. But once you have that process and strategy and you know how to get at your customers or your, your future customers, that tool is, it, is awesome in terms of kind of helping you move, move more through your funnel with a small and mighty team. So Yeah, there you go. Love that. Mm -hmm. So another thing you said for small and mighty teams that you're a big believer in is the scorecard. So like mm -hmm. what makes for a good scorecard? Why do you think scorecards are important for even small teams? Um, you know, I answer that sort of in this <laughs> facetious way. How do we know if we're winning the game if we can't see the score? Right. Yeah. And so I think, I think in so many cases, this is where marketing gets themselves in trouble is the, is the leaning on on scores that aren't meaningful or leaning on things that that actually are not moving things along. And so I kind of look at it again more holistically. I need to know what things need to happen at the beginning of this campaign, of this process, of this strategy that's going to lead it to an outcome at the end. Mm -hmm. But we often get this this idea that something happened here. We had a good email open rate. But oh shoot, we didn't have, you know, we didn't have any revenue come out of the back of it. Yeah. But there are 12 steps in between that that we forgot to look at. Right. And so drawing that out. So what makes a good scorecard partially is drawing that out and making sure that you see at every touch point within your entire process what's happening and where is something maybe falling off. If it's our close rate with sales, that's a different fix than if it's our email open rate or our click-through rate or our conversion yeah. rate or things like that. Mm -hmm. I love that you're talking about like revenue and like close rate and things, which sometimes marketers on, on this idea of a scorecard, like the only thing that's on the scorecard are, are things like, you know, the key KPIs. It could be as simple as like, well, how many impressions did we get to? How many click throughs did we get to? You know, how many form fills or conversions did we get? But then it kind of ends there. And I think it's smart to think as a marketer about how is it that we can actually connect all of our activities to like what the business owners and leaders are really care about. Like, 
They don't care about click-through rate. What they care about is revenue, right? So I love that you're incorporating those things into how you think about a marketing scorecard. Mm-hmm. My mission in life, Josh, is to bring credibility to this marketing leadership role. That is my mission in life. And and if you think about from a consumer perspective, the consumer's behavior, there's so little distinction between what they're doing with sales or what they're doing with marketing anymore. Yeah. It's very blended. It's not a straight line journey. There are all these things that we contribute, that sales contribute, that we contribute together. You have yep. to be partnered on that revenue number. It's just, it's just not, it's not even a question anymore. Yeah. And I know, you know, in one of your recent videos, you talked about not only like marketing and, and sales, but it's like customer service. Like there's other parts of the business that also need to be like uh, working together. And so I think uh, you said in the video that like 2024 is going to be all about the customer and kind of suggesting that leaders need to put them at the center of their business. So what are you seeing that kind of led you to that conclusion? Like that this is very, we need to become more customer centric. And then how do you do this? So I love, this is a prediction. This is a, I don't do predictions often, but this is a prediction. Here's why, right? Right? Yeah, we all, we all have that. Um, But here's the, here's why. Because as I said before, millennials, millennials are 75% of the workforce right now, which means they also, they have a lot of decision power. They have a lot of, of purchase power mm-hmm. and they are also way more likely to recommend a product or service to their peers or colleagues. And even if you think about, I'm not a millennial surprise, um, but even if you think about like where I sit, where are you likely to find out if if you should, you know, I need a designer, who should I talk to? Mm. I need this product A, what should I do? I'm looking for a car, you driven this one. You're gonna ask your friends and your yeah. peers and your colleagues. And and I get that online reviews and, and for some reason Amazon is kind of the the outlier to this because we believe the reviews that are there, even though we don't yeah. know the people. But for most, especially B2B, it's gonna be that reliance on the discussion with your peer group. Mm -hmm. And so you wanna make sure, this is often missed, you wanna make sure that you equip your customer to talk well of you. So serve them, right? Make sure that you're doing what you said you're gonna do with them, keep your promise, serve them, do all those things, and give them a reason to recommend you. Yeah. It's just it, and and in fact, they know your next customers. We just yeah, keep sure. proving this over and over. They, we all know each other. I can tell you, Josh, you and I probably know every marketer in our in our community. Yeah, a lot of them, anyway. <laughs> a lot of them, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. Uh, so one of the things that you talked about when you were talking about uh, kind of focus on the customer was also like on the retention side. So it's not just like how do we get new ones and how do we get word of mouth and get referrals and all that? Like that's very front end, but it's also like on the retention side. Can you speak to that a little bit? I, I just love the customer topic because there's a couple things. One is on, on the retention side. I always pose the question, is your customer service department, are they about problem solving or problem avoidance? Mm-hmm. And it, that's meant to be a provocative question. And here's why I say that. 
you know generally where your customers get hung up with your product or service. You yeah. know this. So instead of like letting them fumble their way through it and have to make a call and have to resolve it and do all this problem solving thing, you may do that super well, but why not help them avoid it? Yeah. Hey, customer X, we know at this point, people get hung up right here. Yeah. Let us let us give you this help through it before it even happens to you. Maybe it's not going to happen, but whatever, right? And and the second the second point is people will stew quietly if mm -hmm. they're unhappy with your service or if they're thinking there's something better or if suddenly your your product or service doesn't meet their needs anymore. And that's when your competitors are going to encroach. Yeah. That's when the grass is greener will happen. And so if you're not talking to your customer during that time period, you can guarantee your competitors are. Yeah. I take the calls. I'm sure yeah. you do too. Yeah, yeah, for mm -hmm. sure. I, mm -hmm. uh, I think it's really curious. Just today, we had uh, kind of as part of an onboarding process, right? We need to get access to certain tools that the, you know, our clients who not always are like, how do I give you Google Search Console access at the right <laughs> level? And, and, uh, and it was brilliant because like our, um, manager just had a video that they'd already made right and so it's like here are some step-by-step -step directions you can walk through here's a video that I made that you can do that you can look at and you can watch how to do this otherwise we can get on like a joint screen share and I can walk you through it so yeah that acknowledgement that there's like some tricky aspects to like our onboarding or just generally like a business hat there are maybe some parts that there's always fumbling around and so if you can identify those mm -hmm. and try to grease the rails a little bit I love that mm -hmm. as advice mm -hmm. well and it's transparency too like no one I've always said this no one expects a perfect experience they'd like it but they don't really expect a perfect experience but they definitely want you to be transparent with them yeah hey listen at this point in our journey this gets hard so let's right. just, you know, here I am to walk through with you yeah. or, you know, gosh, we, we really messed this up. Here's what we know. Here's how we're going to fix that. Right. right. I mean, yeah. Yeah. Cause that's, it's that like that simple statement that like, Hey, we know mm -hmm. this is complicated. It kind of takes the pressure off that person where they might think, am I like an idiot? Cause I can't do this myself. Yeah. Like, no, actually it's really hard to do it. And we created like, some helpful tools because you're not an idiot. It's just a silly process that we just have yeah. to get through. So anyway, I love point. that you yeah. can take kind of that, can take that pressure off and, and uh, mm -hmm. not make people feel like they're somehow missing the boat. Mm -hmm. Well, mm -hmm. this has been awesome. I've loved having this conversation with you and I'm sure we could talk for hours mm -hmm. on uh, customers and focusing on customers and how that's going to benefit businesses. But we're running out of time. So one of the questions that I always kind of leave with, though, is, uh, you know, do you have some great books or podcasts, recommendations, anything you're reading or listening to, or any favorites that you'd like to recommend? 
Everybody that knows me knows I'm a voracious consumer of books and content. So yes, I do have. How long? How much longer do no, we have? No, no. Like you got to distill it so, down to a couple. So I get it. I get it. So this podcast, your podcast, is awesome, Josh, and I love that you're oh, bringing thanks. these topics in a very in a very comfortable way to people. I love that it's a conversation. So obviously, this is my, one of my recommendations. Um, I love the marketing book podcast. Uh, Douglas Burdett does a fantastic job. I think he's a literal genius. He can read a whole book every week and interview the author. It's that's amazing. Yeah. I always think that that marketers should learn sales. And my favorite sales podcast is is Jeb Blunt's Sales Gravy podcast. Okay. I think that one is excellent. Um, I recommend that one, that one. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, that's a good one. And then I, I have a couple of books that I recommend. I, I'm a big fan of Tiffany Bova, but The Experience Mindset is okay. her newest book. A lot of what we talked about, about how, especially how millennials are, are preferring experience over, you know, other preferences. That's, yeah. that's a big one. And she also goes into kind of the culture of your team dynamic, which is an important one. And then I do think Paul Ratzer's, um, Marketing artificial intelligence is a good way to kind of think about the power of uh, AI in marketing okay. versus just AI for pro production. So those would be my yeah. immediate recommendations. Those are two books I have not read. So like this oh, is perfect. why I asked this question. My yeah. the yeah. the, the uh, nightstand book pile increases. Yes. Well, cool. Well, yes. thanks so much, Debbie. This has been a lot of fun. I really appreciate it. 